Well, you guys have a special treat tonight. And that Ethan Levitt is going to be bringing the word tonight. Here, use this one, brother. The anointing's on this one. That's where the magic happens, right there. So some of you may or may not know, but uh, Ethan and his wife, Dasha, um, were our missionaries for, from Faith and Victory Church that were in Ukraine for almost three years. Is that correct? Not the Ukraine. They were, it, it's not the Canada, okay? It's Canada. It's not the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. And they faithfully served the Lord there, and um, they uh, did work with orphans, and they did work in the church. And one of the things that Ethan did while he was there was he preached in churches uh, in Ukrainian and in Russian sometimes as well. So tonight he's going to preach in Russian. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Okay. So whenever he really, I, I, the only Russian I know is Slava Bogu. And so if he says that, you say, amen. Like, and so Slava Bogu means praise God. So no, he's not going to do it in Russian. He's going to do it in Ukrainian. That's be good. No, um, I, Ethan... Um, has a gift from God for just the ministry and a love of the word. And, and so uh, just like I said with uh, brother, brother Marcus as a deacon, sometimes people get this idea that like, well, how come that guy gets to preach and I don't get to preach? Or is he a pastor? Or is he not a pastor? He's a guy that was a missionary for three years that preached on the mission field and told people the way to be saved. And then he came home and the Lord told his pastor, hey, why don't you have him preach some Wednesday night? So this is that some Wednesday night. Okay, so maybe if you give up your life and go to the Ukraine and preach in Russian for three years, you come back, the Lord will lay on my heart to have you preach. Um, here's what I do know is that I, I trust Ethan's heart more than anything else, even though it's deceitfully wicked, uh, according to the word. That's what the word is tonight. But I, I trust Ethan's heart and that he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord's church and he loves the Lord's people. And so... Um, tonight, would you guys just give him your undivided attention as he brings the word of God tonight? Amen. just the way I planned it. Anyways, so heads up, I planned for about 40 minutes, which would put us late. So um, I'll try to keep it in there, but have patience with me. All right. I'll keep it really simple. Guard your heart. Okay. That's pretty much the whole sermon. So if I run late, you got it already. Okay. Guard your heart. You can write it down. You can repeat it back to yourself. Guard your heart. You shouldn't go home tonight wondering what the whole point of the message was. Here it is. Take care, brothers. Guard your hearts. Amen. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt was up here pleading with us, commanding us in the name of Jesus to guard our hearts. And he passionately went through scripture by scripture, showing us how it's out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. When you do something bad, when you sin, when you lash out in anger on your fellow man, when you covet his wife, when you provoke your children to anger, when you fudge your time card at work, when you call in pretending to be sick, 
Whenever you show contempt for your parents, defile the Lord's day by treating it like any other day, it's evil. When you murmur, complain, when you bring forth into the world evil, it's not just something that happens spontaneously. It's not an accident. It doesn't come out of nowhere, without a cause, out of your control. No, you give birth to your evil deeds. They come from your heart when you're not diligent to guard it and nurture it in the faith. For the love of God, for the sake of all that is good, will you not guard your hearts? Guard the hearts of your household. Now that begs the question, from what? From what do you need to guard your heart? If I remember correctly, Pastor Matt admonished the church to guard our hearts by throwing ourselves on the promises of God, like he did again moments ago. The great, the wonderful promises of God. How true they are. Mighty to guide, to lead, to sustain you, to lift you up, to empower you, to give you hope, to give you joy in suffering even, to keep you on the path of life. Yes. To make you wise. To make you happy. So, if you guard your heart by trusting Him, what you're guarding your heart from, and what gives birth to all your sin, what defiles you, the Bible says, is unbelief. When you sin, it's because you don't believe. Because you don't trust. Now, that's a really harsh thing to say. Hard sort of pill to swallow, as they say. But if you can humble yourself enough to accept it and not fight against it, it will free you to actually deal with your sin. To understand it and get at its root cause, its root cause, and have victory over it by the grace of God. When you sin, it's because you don't believe. It's because you've allowed sin to deceive you. Remember, a deception, a lie, only has power when it's believed in. You can strip the devil of his power if only you would stop believing his wicked, murderous lies. You defend yourself from him by picking up the shield of faith and trusting in your brave young Savior and all the promises of God to you. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 3, chapter 3. I think we'll begin in verse 7, just quickly. And test for yourselves whether what you're hearing right now is true or not. Listen for the connection between unbelief and hard hearts that give birth to sin. And consequently, what we should do about it. The Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because because of what? Because of unbelief. He says they sinned, they sinned, they rebelled, and they couldn't enter because of unbelief. Let it not be so with you. Amen. Let it not be so with me. Yes. So, to help guard your hearts in hopes of spurring you on towards a truer and stronger faith, in hopes of a bright and glorious future, in hopes of having you gain the victory over sin in your life, and unbelief, look now at the story of your amazing Jesus and how he himself was amazed by the hideous unbelief of the people of his own hometown. Mark 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard, who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. In this account, Jesus is returning to his native Nazareth after performing truly wondrous miracles. This is just the start of chapter 6. And in the preceding five chapters, we already see that Jesus has healed. Um, He's freed a man from an evil spirit. He freed another one from the torment of leprosy. He healed a paralyzed man. He calmed the storm. He actually stilled the waves, talked to the waves and the wind and stilled them. And most recently, he brought a girl back from the dead. Now, you might expect that the people of his hometown would give him the hero's welcome. Be glad to hear him. Be glad to see him. But you'd be wrong. Nothing of the sort happened. On nearly every page of the Gospels, you can see that people everywhere were amazed by Jesus. But on this day, something so horrible manifests itself that it's Jesus who walks away amazed. Other translations say that he marveled or was astonished at their unparalleled, 
or just absolutely stunning, disgusting disbelief. But that's the end of the story. Um, be good to rewind a bit. After, after spending 25 or 30 years in that little insignificant Nazareth, he leaves home to go preach the good news and demonstrates it by healing people of all their sicknesses and many astonishing miracles. And of course, immediately after he starts doing this, news of a new powerful prophet named Jesus of Nazareth spread everywhere. He just explodes on the scene. It's like an overnight sensation, this, this viral thing going on. Thousands of people are walking miles and miles and following him sometimes for days just to see this man, just to hear him speak. And maybe, just maybe, if they were fortunate enough to touch him, who knows what might happen. But when he returned to his hometown, to his neighbors, to his relatives, they didn't want to see him. They reject him. Even his own family didn't accept him with faith. They were ashamed of him. They were embarrassed. It's written, not even his brothers believed in him. His family, it says, they went out to seize him saying, he's out of his mind. Once when Jesus was teaching, his disciples said to him, your mother and your brothers are here looking for you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my mother and my sister. What an incredible thing to say. Church, no one ever spoke like your Jesus. And he's speaking tonight to you. Will you listen? Your mother, your brothers, these are special people. People worthy of your attention. Mother and brother, these are people you give yourselves to. People you're always ready to help. Now, when the Mormons come to your house, maybe some of you might feel tempted to pretend like you're not home. (laughs) But no matter what time of day or night, if your mother comes knocking, you answer that door. There's no hiding. This is a special person. For Jesus, the people who listen to the Word of God and do it, these are those special people those intimate, those near and dear ones who he's always happy to hear from, always happy to lend a hand. Yes. When Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, they didn't, he didn't pay attention to them because they came to take him away. Yeah. Take him away, and that wasn't the will of God. Yeah. And the same is true with you. When you pray and ask not in, in concordance with God's word, when you rebel against his law, then Jesus treats your request like the request of a stranger. Don't be surprised. Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. A child of God? It's like a mind-blowing thought. A child of God? What an offer. To trade in your old self for the new. 
your worthless self for the priceless, the filthy for the clean, the broken for the glorious, the weak for the strong, the cursed for the beloved. It's very death for life. What kind of fool would reject such an offer? And they reject him. And it's disgusting. The evangelist Luke writes about the first time that Jesus went back to Nazareth. And he says, when they heard these things, that is, when when they heard Jesus preaching um, in the synagogue, they were all filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. What did he ever do to them? Have you imagined what it would be like to be his neighbor? To watch him grow up? What did he ever do to them? Never a bad word, never a cross look, only love. And they tried to kill him for it. But even after that, even after this, even after they treated him so shamefully, so violently, and rejected him so absolutely, here he is yet again. Has he ever come to you again? After you've acted shamefully towards him? Or did he just give up on you? What a great God. Do you see? Do you see him as beautiful? Do you see him as glorious? As worthy? One to bow down to? Truly, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And how he relents over disaster, he finds no pleasure in destroying, nor in condemning and punishing. But they still, it says they took offense at him. How stupid. Friends, guard your hearts, lest you be like these stupid, stubborn donkeys, unwavering, unwavering in their unfounded and incomprehensible Filthy unbelief. It says on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. What exactly he started to teach this time isn't known. But typically whenever he went he preached and called people to repentance. That is to turn away from their sins and to turn away from their sinful life and to turn towards God. To turn towards love. Love of God. Love of your fellow man. And he claimed and he showed that he has power to forgive sins. Power to give the gift of life. Peace and rest for their weary souls. To free them from slavery. To empower them to live righteous and happy lives. But that's not at all what these people wanted. That's not what they were interested. That's not what they wanted to hear. Instead they ask, how are such mighty works done by this man? They weren't looking for evidence to support his claims. They weren't saying, we want to believe. If only he would show us something and we we could believe. No. They didn't want to believe. As Jesus once said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, 
stones those are sent to those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. They had pride in their hearts. We're not a poor people. We're the children of Abraham, they say to him. We're righteous. I'm no slave to sin. What are you talking about freeing me from my bondage? I'm not blind. Listen here, you you son of Mary. Why don't you go do a couple miracles for us? Why don't you put on a show? And in all of this, they're just looking for something, one little thing that they could base their unbelief on. They didn't want to know the truth. They wanted to justify themselves in their disrespect. To commend themselves in their rejection of Jesus. Friends, that's a fool's errand. No one ever will be able to commend themselves in their rejection of Jesus. Jesus cast out all kinds of sickness and disease from the entire land, but in the end, for all his trouble, they tortured him to death, shamefully hung him naked on a tree. They weren't looking for truth. If they wanted to know if Jesus was from God or not, they had all the evidence they needed. They were simply looking for a defense for their hatred. That's what they were looking for. That's what they really wanted. To continue on in their sin with a clean conscience. There was no room found for him. Not in the inn so many years ago in Bethlehem. And not now in their hearts. And they go on and they ask, Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary? Consider this. They didn't say he was a prophet. Even though at that time everywhere people considered him a mighty prophet. They didn't even call him Jesus. They say this man. And this word here man isn't the everyday word for man. It's a lot more casual to say the least. More negative, disrespectful word. It's as if they say hey. This guy, this dude, he really thinks he's something, but we know he ain't nobody. They say, is not this the carpenter? They don't call him Lord, nor prophet, nor teacher. They say carpenter. Now, there's nothing bad with being a carpenter. Absolutely not. But in the way that they use this, they want to say that he can't have the kind of wisdom, the kind of authority that he's displaying. They're trying to bring him down with their words, trying to belittle him, trying to make him look foolish. He came to them as a savior. Think of this word, a savior. Someone who saves, a rescuer, a deliverer, a hero, the true hero. And they say, hey, isn't this guy that carpenter? The son of Mary. And here, in these words, the son of Mary. If you lived anywhere probably outside of the States, you might know that this is very, very thinly, thinly veiled hint at all those rumors. All those rumors that for sure everyone in the village had heard before about Jesus being born out of wedlock, that Jesus was an illegitimate bastard child. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Mary? Oh, I mean, Joseph. (laughs) 
Now, if you're uncomfortable hearing the preacher talk this way, that's good. You should be repulsed by that. Just imagine the insult, the hatred in their hearts to talk this way. It's not good to sugarcoat it. Look and see how ugly, stony, unbelieving hearts are. Gaze upon it and be amazed. Be repulsed. Remember, when Jesus was rebuking the unbelieving Jews, and he said to them, You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. You are of your father, the devil. And they answered to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God? This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your, your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. You hear the implication there? These were the kinds of things that they were thinking, saying, feeling about him. This was their attitude towards your precious Jesus. Take care, brothers, that unbelief not take root in your own heart, in your own household. Don't harden your hearts when you read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Don't harden your hearts when you read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't harden your hearts when you read, Children, obey your parents. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Don't harden your hearts when you read, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't harden your hearts, but instead arise. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's the promise of God. Cling to it. For the people of little Nazareth, Jesus wasn't some superstar. He wasn't some great figure. He wasn't glorious in their eyes. He wasn't influential. And that, in a large part, is why they were continually amazed by his teaching. Because he taught them. First of all, he had the gall to teach them. And secondly, because he taught as if. And that tells you a lot about how they thought of him. As if he was one who had great authority. Chances are that if he was just proud of them, if he bragged about them wherever he went... Or at least if he just remained silent about sin, repentance, they would have been crazy about him. They would have been his biggest fans. Yeah. They would revel in the fact that he was one of them. They would have said things like, oh, that's our Jesus. They would have told every new acquaintance, everyone they knew, that they knew him. They lived down the street from him. He helped them build their house. They would have installed the great big sign on the way into their village saying, Welcome to Nazareth, home of the prophet Jesus. But Jesus, he was proud of his father. That's where his delight was. Not in them, not in people. That's where his treasure was. That's who he gloried in. His father, your mighty maker. 
And he dared to tell them that they were blind and sick and that God sent him to proclaim healing and to give sight and to liberate the captive and to lift up the downtrodden. But instead of accepting, instead of bowing down and falling at his feet, at the feet of the king, and being forgiven and accepted by him, they disrespected him in the most disgusting way. That was the choice they made in their hearts. And that's maybe something to take note of. It's, it's the tactics of an unbeliever when God shows him the truth. When the truth is obvious and the truth is pertinent to him, he, tr- he tries with all his mind to cloud the obvious, to darken it, to make it fuzzy. And then if that doesn't work, he'll just bring up all sorts of facts or questions that have nothing to do with anything. And if that doesn't work, well, he'll just attack the messenger. Yeah. And that's something not only that you need to be aware of and to watch out for and to know that it's coming when you speak and act the truth. But it's something to guard your own hearts from when the truth is spoken to you. Brothers and sisters, take care. Guard against an evil, hard heart of disbelief lest it lead you away from the living God. It's written to believers. Mark continues by saying, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then after that, it's written that he marveled. He marveled at them because of their unbelief. Unbelief is, is an amazing force. It's a power so great that it exists and has an effect that extends throughout eternity. It was unbelief that brought the curse upon all people. It's because of unbelief that you sweat and toil and bleed and groan to earn your bread. It's because of unbelief that you scream and curse and writhe in pain during childbirth. It was unbelief that broke apart the fountains of the deep and brought the rain from heaven and flooded the world and slowly drowned the human race. And it is unbelief today that sends people into everlasting flames. It's not so much the multitude of horrible sins that you commit as it is that one quiet, deadly sin of unbelief that strangles and snuffs out the soul of man. If a man does not believe in Christ, does not believe in him to be who he claimed and showed himself to be, then that man remains outside of God's mercy. Even Judas, who sold the Savior for 30 worthless pieces of silver, could have found forgiveness. If only he would believe and turn, turn his back from his sin. For it is written, though your skins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The true promise of God is if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But whoever does not believe will be condemned, it's written. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
You see, the true reason for the destruction of body and soul is as Jesus taught, you do not believe. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Only twice it's written that Jesus was amazed. One time was when the Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, saying, don't even bother coming to my house. I'm not worthy. You just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus said, nowhere in all of Israel, in Jerusalem, have I seen such faith. And he was amazed. And the other time is here. When his own people, who knew him personally and lived with him for many years, but could not, would not accept him. Like little children before bedtime protest and say, No, I won't do it. No, I'm not going to bed. No, I won't brush my teeth. I won't do it. No, I won't be washed. I'm not going to bed. They say, No. And they get red in the face and they stomp their feet. You might forgive a small child for doing something like that. It's this ugly, ugly, mind-bogglingly stubborn refusal to believe and submit and come to him and find life. It's as if he wanted to torture you. The NIV says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. It was their incredible unbelief that was amazing. Not so much that they didn't believe. He knew full well that the Father has mercy on some and gives them a heart to believe and others are left in their unbelief. He knew full well that the people of that village didn't believe in him. But just as the faith of the Roman soldier was so intensely beautiful that when Jesus looked on it, he was amazed. So here he looked at the unbelief of these people and was disgusted by it and amazed by it. um, maybe some of you have been to the Grand Canyon when you see a picture of it in a book or online you think yeah that's, that's pretty cool that's amazing but when your feet are there standing on the edge you can't believe what you're beholding your senses can't take it all in so grand it's hard to walk away You almost lose track of time. It's beautiful. It amazes you. And that's a picture of this supernatural faith of the Roman. A Roman. A Gentile. A heathen soldier. Who's not of the family of God. Didn't have the law. Didn't have the prophets. Didn't have the thousands of years of history of God's faithfulness and mighty hand working for him. It was a beautiful sight to behold. And then you have the unbelief of these people, which didn't have a single argument. They had no basis, no grounds for their unbelief. These are people who grew up with him, who saw him. 
They saw him with their own eyes, the way he loved his family, the way he served his people, the way he was faithful in all things, the way he loved the scriptures and his God, how he kept the Sabbath holy, how he honored his parents, how he kept his heart pure from adultery and hatred, the way he was humble and honest and brave and just. And they looked at that. They looked at him and in their hearts they said, no, I won't have it. I won't come to him. I won't be washed. What an ugly, hideous thing to behold. That's the stuff of true nightmares. Not dragons and monsters and spiders and snakes. It's a stony heart. It's like maybe you witnessed a car accident. Now you know that car accidents happen. You've heard about them. You've seen them on TV and so forth. But if you were to witness with your own eyes a head-on collision, and see the broken glass... Hear the crunching of the cars, the smell of the smoke, the fumes. See the blood pouring and hear the shouts and the groaning and the screams. It's a scene that enthralls. It captures you. It holds you tight. It deeply impresses upon you. You could say it amazes you in a most horrible way. You want to look away, but you can't. You marvel at the horror of it all. Thus, the amazing Jesus was amazed himself by their unbelief. Well, what can be said in reply to all of this? Nazareth and the people of that village are a warning today to you and to your neighbors and for all people. It doesn't matter if you were brought up in the church. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or if you pray before every meal. It doesn't matter if you go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Thursdays. If you go to the social events, if you're part of the club, if a person does not see Jesus as the beautiful, glorious hero that he is, none of it matters. If a person will not entrust themselves to him, will not throw themselves at his feet, it's all for naught. It will all burn. I'm calling you to guard your hearts. As a preacher of the word of God, I beg you, And not me, myself, the very word of God, the spirit that formed the world, created all things, is calling you to guard your heart, to be vigilant, to keep yourself from an evil spirit of unbelief. And this isn't an on-off, light switch type of thing. I believe I don't. He believes, I believe he doesn't. No. Remember the man who was begging Jesus to heal his son? Jesus said to him, All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of that child cried out and said, I believe! Help my unbelief! It's a beautiful, trusting prayer. I believe! Help my unbelief! Unbelief, it's the deadliest of all cancers. It grows! It starts with a single cell, but it grows and grows and it kills a man from within. Be careful. Take care. Guard yourselves from it. Search it out. Look within yourself. Violently and brutally rip it out by the roots. This is no game, no petty thing, no empty word. As Moses said, this is not an empty word. This is your very life. How frightening it is to think that today, this very hour, Jesus could be amazed. By the unbelief of people. People who have every reason to believe. Who have the bright shining witness of Christians throughout 2,000 years of history. People that have in their own town three, four, five, ten churches. People that have 15, 20 translations 
of the scriptures in their own language. But they won't. They will not. They won't. They don't want to come to Jesus and live. Be amazed. I want you to be amazed. To be in awe and don't be indifferent. Let that amazement capture you. Be captivated. Marvel at the horror of it. Your God is gracious and merciful, long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love. Pray to Him. Pray that your God would help your unbelief. Cast yourself upon Him. Pray that God would give your neighbors faith and sight to see and ears to hear and a heart of flesh to feel. Don't give up. Hold on to the faith. Guard your hearts and guard your brother's heart. Remember, it's written, exhort one another every day. That's what he says about this hard heart thing. This this guarding is an everyday thing. It's an all-day, everyday thing. This isn't a a once-a-week. It's not a stoic. It's not a solo thing. It's done in community. Christ died for the church. You need the church. You belong to a body. Look at the person next to you. Inside that person is a fragile heart prone to stray from the living God. Will you step up and be your brother's keeper? Will you guard his heart? All for one and one for all. That's the battle cry. Your God is still in the business of opening eyes and freeing slaves. And he's working through his children. Be witnesses yourself in your speech, in your thought, in your life, at work, at home, on the sports field, in the library, in the bus. In your car, on your way home from work. Be witnesses of the amazing grace which you yourselves have received from him. Praise God with your very being. Throw yourself upon him. He is mighty to save. Pour yourself into the Bible. Take his promises with you wherever you go. Read them aloud. Take care. In case you missed it, that's the application. Take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, to help guard your hearts in hopes of spurring you on towards a truer and stronger faith, in hopes of having you gain the victory over sin and unbelief, in hopes of the bright and glorious future promised to all who believe, remember this story, the story of your amazing Jesus and how he himself was amazed by the hideous unbelief of his neighbors. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy on us. Protect us, Lord. Protect your church. Keep us. That we would ever look to you. That we would keep ourselves. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.